Hello. Hello. And this is Finish Big. Episode two. So we are listening our way through uh, Big Finish in order. We have already gone for a little adventure with Bunny Summerfield through series one of Bunny Summerfield, minus Dragon's Wrath. Wrath? Dragon's Wrath, yes. Dragon's, so Wrath. Dragon's Wrath will be next time. Dragon's uh, Wrath. But now we are skipping into the Jolly Hockey Sticks world of Doctor After the Benice series, Big Finish got the licence to do official brand new Doctor Who. This is the real thing, everyone. Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into too much depth about how that came about, but essentially Big Finish had um <clears throat> an ally at BBC Enterprises in the form of Steve Cole, who absolutely wanted to make Doctor Who Audio Adventures, but they didn't really have the budget or the facilities to do it and managed to convince the BBC, well, we could get them to make this and we'll reap the rewards. Happy days. And they had the Bernice Summerfield Series 1 as an example of how good these things could be. They obviously didn't hear Beyond the Sun then. <laughs> or Dragon's Wrath. Wrath. Dragon's Wrath. This was very exciting. And obviously, uh, poor old BBV audios that have been going, obviously they got very worried. So no more crinoid uh, audio adventures, probably. No Professor and Ace. Interestingly, a lot of the contributors to those BBV audios obviously created Big Finish and worked for Big Finish, Nick Briggs, Gary Russell, and they absolutely, because in the, you know, I sourced the Big Finish uh, inside storybook for all my facts and figures. Gary Russell says absolutely, because there was in the Genocide Machine, which is in the next, obviously our next episode, not this one, he, there was a character that from the BBV audios that Mike Tucker wrote into that script, and Gary Russell said, no, take it out. I don't want any any kind of connection between Big Finish and audiovisuals or BBV. So they were they were deliberately pushing away. So the poor fellow who created the BBV audio, well, he must be very sad right now. Well, exactly. And I, I did get a few of the BBVs because we were all, you know, in the 90s, we were clamoring to get what we could, couldn't we? We were desperate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I say it every time. So this comes along and they get Sylvester McCoy, Colin Baker and Peter Davison signed up to play the Doctor again. Amazing. It was uh, amazing, but like it's, it's so funny to think now, isn't it? Because, like, obviously Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy are kind of infamously considered the fag end of Classic Who, aren't they? And sort of like the um, not the best Doctors. Now, that's not something I, I prescribe to, because Colin Baker's my favourite. I don't know where they fall for you. Where do these three Doctors fall for you, then? Fairly equally, and I go through different oh, phases. That is such a vanilla answer. I like them all the same. <laughs> well, obviously, Paul McGann is my favourite, but no, I, I like them all. You have sort of different; they're different flavours, aren't they? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So sometimes you feel like a Colin Baker. I don't know what I'm, I was about to go like that. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you feel like a Sylvester McCoy, or you get into that that period of time um or you feel a bit more like a peter davison a bit of a you know, a, you know whatever that is i've never fancied colin baker or sylvester mccoy or peter davison okay i'm not saying i fancy them i'm just saying 
I fancied the flavour of you their... Didn't say that. <laughs> so today we are talking about the sirens of time. Digger Phantasmagoria. Oons. I can't say I favour this coffee stuff myself, flowers. Tastes like something that's dropped out of the back end of a cow. Whispers of terror. Oh, oh I don't have a quote for that one, I'm afraid. <laughs> The Land of the Dead. Um, <laughs> oh no, I don't have a quote for that one either. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And The Fearmonger. Pay no attention. It's just your worst nightmare. There we are. So that's the first five releases, the first five Doctor Who releases. I've um, got a feeling, you know, that I'm kinder on these stories than you. So these stories, right, okay, I, th- I think everybody got the Sirens of Time because it was so exciting. It was the first one. I sent my check off in the post. Oh, did you do you it know? that way? Oh, I went off to Forbidden Planet and bought the, the cassette. Oh, uh, I got the CD in the post. So, oh, you straight so to CDs. Straight to CDs. Stra- oh, yeah, I never got the cassette. No, straight to CD. <laughs> so sophisticated, Mark, honestly. Um, because it was all over Doctor Who magazine. They did, you know, they did a free CD with Doctor Who magazine all about it. And I was like, oh, my God, these three dot. It was, well, one, the doc- it's official Doctor Who. Two, it's these actors coming back. And three, the first story, the Sirens of Time, they're going to meet as well. These doctors are going to meet, which is always an exciting event. I mean, it happens all the time now at Big Finish. So, I mean, it's an exciting event until you listen to the bloody thing. I can see exactly why they wanted to start off the range with this. To showcase, we've got these three doctors. It makes perfect sense. Each doctor has an episode, then they meet up at the end. Yeah, conceptually, yeah. What else would you would you I do? Mean, but, structurally, right? The idea of having an episode for Sylvester McCoy, an episode for Peter Davison, an episode for Colin Baker, and then the three of them coming together. That's a great idea. Oh, do you know what? I've not done my facts yet. We've gone straight into this. I'll just do my facts for the Sirens of Time before we go into this proper. Hit it. So, The Sirens of Time was released in July 1999 on CD and cassette, but written by Nicholas Briggs. That obviously stars Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Sylvester McCoy. Also featuring Michael Wade, Sarah Moat, Maggie Stables, and Mark Gattis. Uh, directed by Nicholas Briggs with music by Nicholas Briggs. So Nicholas Briggs had a very busy start. Well, okay, so we need to talk about this, all right? So the big finish inside story details that there was a meeting of all of the, like, uh, the the kind of prestigious New Adventures style writers. So Paul Cornell's there, Stephen Moffat, Mark Gatiss, um, you know, Mark Platt. Gary Russell, Nick Briggs, you know, all those sort of contributors are there. And by all accounts, some shit went down, right? So I I know I love a bit of goss, but they published it, all right? I'm just reading it, okay? Um, And anyway, they announced that Nicholas Briggs is going to be doing the first story. And there's outrage across the board, right? Paul Cornell is quoted by Nicholas Briggs as saying, the first story should be written by a special writer, and that darling ain't you. <laughs> you wish you was at that party. Oh my God, I wish I was a fly on the wall at that party. You'd, you'd be staring it all up. What? 
I would not. How dare you? <laughs> and apparently Stephen Moffat stormed out because he uh, heard that there was going to be no Paul McGann audios at that point. And that's all he mm. wanted to write for. I can understand now. Yeah, okay. I can see that point of view. You're like, oh, Nicholas Briggs. But actually, he'd done all the audiovisual stuff before. So he was experienced. And they're not sure how it's going to go. They've got to play it safe. And budget-wise, they're probably like, well, we've only got to, we can only pay like Nick Briggs. And I'm sure he did a lot of extra stuff, you know, rather than paying the music and the writer and everything. They probably, it was probably a budget thing as well that they just had to try. Before well, written and directed and scored by Nicholas Briggs. It's practically yeah. a passion project. I can only well, think I know, of a few Doctor Who stories, like um, Planet of the Spiders, which was written and directed by Barry Letts, where someone's had this opportunity to, to basically bring this thing to life in mm. every single way possible. I'm surprised he didn't act in it as well. I bet there's some voices by Nicholas Briggs in there too. Uh, yeah, there is. Um, but I know, and I know people are like, oh, why is he doing this? And even nowadays you get like a new box set announced and they're like, oh, one's written by Nicholas Briggs or it's directed by Nicholas Briggs. But actually, I, I just think it comes down to budget. I think you do a new big finish box set. We can afford two new writers, but we can't afford a third and an extra director. So that's what you do. And that's what that's what you all do when you're trying to budget something. I do that at events at work. I, I don't get in a separate like three or four people to do different things i have to do it myself because you can't afford to get all these people in and they are on a a small company on a budget so i i am sticking up for nicholas briggs i don't i i i think ideally you wouldn't hear his voice come up all the time because it's very recognizable so it takes you out of it a little bit but if he's gonna if he wants to write and direct and do the music i understand is what i'm trying to say Two things I have to say about that. One is I agree with you and I disagree with you. I agree with you that at this point, yes, they're on a low budget and to have one person do everything, probably for a low fee, that absolutely makes sense. Somewhere along the lines, Gary Russell stepped out of Big Finish and we'll get there and Nicholas Briggs took over. Yeah, Nicholas Briggs is essentially in creative control of Big Finish. Yeah, and nowadays it's nothing to do with budget because Big Finish is making a bloody mint. The A-list actors they can pull in and things like this, like they are making money, Big Finish. Nowadays, if Nicholas Briggs is, and he's always there, he was there at the beginning of the War Master set, at the beginning of the Fourth Doctor set, at the beginning of the Third Doctor Avengers set, like he always kicks off these things. And it's just, he's in charge and he wants to do it. And that, and And, you know, like, there's probably some ego involved and you know like i'm not going to say nicholas briggs does not have an ego we all do mm. absolutely he wants to be there at the beginning and then he kind of hands over the reins after that my issue with that is i'm sorry nicholas briggs is not the strongest writer on big finishes roll call okay 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 right let's let's just talk about the science of time okay fine okay yes but because okay why are you keep me under control every time i'm being critical Linked to that, my first experience with the Sirens of Time, really excited, got it in the post, took the CD out, put it straight in to listen to. You've got Gallifrey, you've got the TARDIS noise, it's really exciting. Then you go, you, then you go into that first episode with the Seventh Doctor, and it just wasn't that particularly exciting. This is a terrible opening for Big Finish. It's tough. It's a tough one to get through. It's not... There's a few things that aren't clear for me. Maybe that's just personally me. I don't know if that's going to come up again. <laughs> it takes me ages to... I don't know. I just didn't get it. And I was... I don't know how old I was. I don't know. 11, 12, 12 13 maybe. 
it didn't capture my interest. It didn't. And I'm used to audio drama. I'd always listened to lots of audio drama before Big Finish. It's not, that's not the problem. It just, the story, this first story does not grab you. And yeah, it's just never one that I would want to go back to or I choose to go back to. And I wonder how many people thought, oh, right, because fans, they all want to start at the beginning, don't they? Go through the list in order, like we are. Um, I wonder how many people got the sirens of time and was like, oh, is this what they're all like? Well, apparently, it, apparently this one still sells well and and yes. sold brilliantly at the time, obviously. And it's like, you know, like I've got a podcast, you've got a podcast. I'm almost one of my most listened to episodes is my first one because people go in. That's where people start. You know, this is not very well written. But we could be forgiving that to say, OK, like the first of anything, if they're just starting out and they're just getting used to stuff but actually they've done a whole series of Bernice no they should know so it's not like it's their first ever and they're trying stuff and Briggs Uh, it's more the scripts than anything else Briggs does better stuff in the first 50 main race he comes back a couple of times and he Mm -hmm. writes far better Creatures of Beauty is a sublime script Mm -hmm. so it's not like he's incapable of writing really good Doctor Who this is just like ah. the first episode with Sylvester McCoy in that swamp planet, it's so on, confusing. Hold on, Alenia. <laughs> ah, you're not Alenia, I take it. <laughs> the girl. The girl. Your girl. Yes, the girl. Your girl. <laughs> Like I, I love what Maggie Stables is doing because she's just going for it, isn't she? She's playing this like a half warthog, half human character. Okay, so okay, well we'll go in. Let's just talk about that first episode. So yeah, you've got Maggie Stables as I didn't get that she was a warthog. I have, I don't know. I didn't That's understand in her interview that she was asked to play half walk, a half warthog, half human. I am the doctor. I. Uh... You're not Alenia, I take it. Duck! Do you know where the girl is? The girl! The girl? <laughs> yes, yes, the girl! Can you show me where she is? Take me to her. She's in trouble. Duck! Your girl! Yes! Girl! See Ted! Soon! Get out of my way! The concept of going through these episodes is each episode the Doctor encounters a siren in the disguise of a, of a girl. So we have that's Elenia in this one. Sarah in each episode, she's playing yeah. the siren character, but it's a different guise within each mm. episode. Which I, I understood that. And I got that. And that was exciting. But then I didn't, I don't get the point of it, but we'll get, we'll talk about that. <laughs> I don't get and the point so, of any of this story. If I'm honest so the doctor, he's trying to save Elenia. Uh, and, and then you have Maggie Stables, as what's it roofly um and i didn't and then there's, there's a night of is it night of Alicia or night yeah, of one of the oldest of- or the last surviving night of Alicia. and this is something that comes back again and again in big finish they they lean on the nights of i'm not entirely sure what they are if i'm honest no i i come out of it that's what happened i just come out of this every time being like i don't know what's just happened i don't know why things have happened or I just, I just don't get it. Essentially, that first episode is Sylvester McCoy finding that girl and then finding the man 
and then the cliffhanger and that's all that happens there is no narrative whatsoever it ain't building up to anything it's just that for 25 minutes yeah i mean the sound the sound design is good uh the sound design is always fairly good it's just a shame that there's nothing more to it i think and okay we're talking about ruth lee's maggie stables that she's that that's a standout performance yeah because it's in this episode. completely fucking bonkers and obviously we'll get back to maggie stables again she was in just war previously uh and she will come back again soon so oh, well maggie stables can do no wrong okay no and, and it's a great um it's memorable that's why we're talking about it 20 years later or however long because it's a memorable performance and it stands out in this particular production (laughs) (laughs) so well that is our our drawing challenge of this episode because you said about being a warthog in my mind all i can see because i know it's maggie stables I imagine Mag- it as Maggie Stables for some reason in a bikini, in a leather bikini. <laughs> I don't know why. There is no That's mention of a leather bikini whatsoever. But I know that she's sort of living, I don't know, uh, uh, sort of living out in the in the wild looking after this guy. And it's I know it's some kind of creature, but it, all, it gets messed up in my head. So it's Maggie Stables part sort of creature in a bikini sort of, because it's like oh. a tropical jungle well i'm dying i am dying to see your picture now then so this time you can go first okay i'll go first then you need to explain what you see okay Okay. so this is so this is what i always see when i listen to the sirens of time (laughs) (laughs) is that maggie stables yeah can't you see it is i don't think she would care for that picture you know (laughs) What is the show? Girl, big girl, young girl. (laughs) This is the Sirens of Time. If they animate the Sirens of Time, this is what it's going to be. No, no, it's going to be this. You ready for this? So, what do you? What is this? What you see when you? I see you as a warthog because that's what she said in her interview. Okay, okay. (laughs) But it's a warthog in a purple skirt because it's a female warthog. Okay. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Okay. I... <laughs> um. Okay. Um. <laughs> I mean, they're not that distant. They're not that different. Can you hold yours up, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they look exactly the same. Jesus Christ! Your girl, doctor. <laughs> oh bless there well we uh, maybe we'll put that out to the vote as to which is the most ruthly yeah who's it yeah what what do you imagine when you listen to the sirens of time episode one um and actually sarah moa as alenia is is pretty good i think she's really good in all of these like she puts on different accents and she kind of embodies different characters and then she plays the evil quite good in the last episode frankly the only decent thing about the last episode we have to give a shout out to michael wade who is now the president of gallifrey last time he was the nazi in just war yeah very different and also lockwood in alton our favorite spin-off series yeah yes so i i enjoyed the gallifrey bits actually more than it's all just like oh Peril on Gallifrey, they're evading Gallifrey. Like, oh, God, am I? Who gives a shit about Gallifrey? Like, honest to God. 
And the next episode, episode two, is the Peter Davison episode. Best of the story. By, by so a mile. He's on a German U-boat, right? Yeah. He plays it really, really well. I mean, because Sylvester McCoy, he's done the BBVs. He's done a lot of spin-offs between the end of Doctor Who and now the last, like... He sounded like he had never read this script in his life, that he just walked in and opened it up. For Sylvester McCoy? Yeah. Whereas Peter Davison... I think is an actor of some caliber where he could just, I mean, he probably had the script in advance, but he could just open a script and give an incredibly naturalistic performance. Do you know what's great about him though? Is like, he's, he's kind of, his voice is visibly aged and it gives him more authority than he had when he was on television. I think uh, for me, Peter Davison on audio is far superior to Peter Davison on television. He's written slightly, yeah, he's written slightly different as well. That's funny you say that, because now, 20 years later, he definitely has age. He does sound very different. But I remember listening to Sirens of Time thinking he sounds exactly like he does on TV to me. Colin Uh, Baker's the same, though. Colin Baker um, in this, in these early ones, sounds very like Colin Baker on TV. Now his voice has really aged. mm -hmm. I mean, it's still Colin Baker playing the Sixth Doctor. And, you know, what? let's not criticise somebody for getting old. We're all going that way, you know? But um, I I certainly think in Davison's case, that works in his favour. I enjoyed this episode the most. I think I followed it the most. Not that, again, that much happens, really. The Doctor's stranded... There's atmosphere and it's historical. So the sound effects were really nice. And Mark Gatiss is in there and he's giving a nice performance as the Nazi character. Nazi again from Just War. I mean, it ain't Just War, is it, this episode? But it at least it's... it's No, I, I did feel like there was more story in this episode. And I just I was really enjoying Peter Saverson in it. So that, that was enough for me, I think. Well, what about um, episode three? Sixth Doctor, okay, the story does ramp up a little bit. I actually had to go on Wiki and look at the plot after I listened to this because I did not understand it. And I can tell you about it now. So the the Sixth Doctor wakes up on this, like, cruise liner, which is circling something called the Kurgon Wonder, which is some, okay, I don't know what, some spacey thing that's out in space. (laughs) And I don't know what happens. Something happens and there's a stewardess who is the siren. The knights of whatever are invading Gallifrey. And What's happening in this episode, right, is that a lot of the elements that have started to be introduced in episode one and two, it's starting mm-hmm. to cohere. So I get what he's doing. He's he's dropping a few things left, right, centre in one and two. In three, mm-hmm. it's building into a form of a narrative. So then in four, when they all come together, all of that plot information is regurgitated and and then the climax hits. It, it, in terms of like the structure of a story, it works. In terms of it being interesting or exciting or engaging or just worth listening to, it is not. It's the temper on like a whale or something. Doesn't someone say that? I imagine a whale in space. Oh, no. oh, oh the diamonds of time. Oh! honestly god if your impressions are gonna be like this throughout we're in for a good time (laughs) it's funny it's funny because i this obviously this is the one that i probably listened to you know when i first got it listened to it a lot and it just sounds so those lines just stick in your head because especially all these early ones just because we've just they've been around for so long in you know but and then we get onto part four we've all been waiting for these doctors to interact and what happened here 
probably something pretty catastrophic or the three of us wouldn't be here together at the same time. Yes, there are laws about this sort of thing, after all. Laws that the Temperon saw fit to break. I take it you two were brought here by the Temperon. Yes. Hmm, not a very comfortable way to travel. But it certainly seemed less volatile than its close cousins, the Cronovores. Beware the sirens of time. Sirens of time. Never heard of them. Quite. Perhaps it's time we shared our experiences, agreed? Agreed. Contact. 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 Part four is nothing but a shit ton of exposition and mm. word peril that don't mean nothing to nobody. There is no characters in there at all to give a shit about. There's three doctors, but we kind of know they're going to be all right because there's three doctors. So, but there's no there's no characters beyond that, beyond the female siren and the temperon. Can't do the temperon again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Is that your orgasm noise? Sorry. <laughs> um, so why are we supposed to care about any of this? It's like, and you know what happens? It's like it's like one twist after another. Well, we're actually doing this. No, we're actually doing this. No, the temporal was actually doing this. No, the sirens of time were actually. Doing- I was like, what the fuck is going on, and why do I care? Like it's so boring, and it. I don't know. Like, think of the best Big Finish stories where they've got characters that you desperately care about, like Edith in The Chimes of Midnight, or that girl in Spare Parts who gets turned into a Cyberman, and you really care and you're super invested. What is there to be invested in this bollocks? I wonder if it was difficult because there's no companions in it, and traditionally they'd be explaining to the companion. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And, and then you've got the... You've got the um, the Ellie, the Helen, the Elenia to, to but explain yeah, things. But, but, but then like maybe if that character had been an actual character or those three characters had all come along in the but obviously they turn out to be one the siren. So I didn't get what she so say that first siren in that first episode, she's stuck in the mud and he rescues her. Why was the siren there to, to I I thought the idea was that she was she appeared to sort of steer the doctor in a certain direction, but she didn't though. She just turned up to Okay, I'm so not sure you're going to get the answers that you want. It's a shame that the series starts like this, but we know it gets better, and we understand why they tried to do that. But can I tell you a fascinating been... fact about this story? Always. Oh, thank you. Um, apparently, originally, the villain was supposed to be the warlord from the war games. Wait, the warlord's son. <sighs> Why didn't they do that? Because it's already been done in one of the new adventures. <sighs> Nicholas Briggs didn't know. And then was like, no, that's already been done. You've got to do something else. So he brought in the temporal. Go on, do it again. What? And the only other thing I really, from the book, I really want to talk to you about, and you might try and cut me off and you might try and shut me down when I say this. No, no, come on. Disclaimer. We're going to be honest with this thing. And Nicholas Briggs says in this book, in an interview, and this is published, that Mm. he goes, there's, um, he's never, um, he talks about how how people criticise Sirens of Time, yeah? And he basically Mm. says, well, there's, I've never met anybody who has criticised the Sirens of Time whose opinion I respect, so he's essentially saying anyone who criticizes his work is that you know, those opinions aren't worth respecting. And I've seen like since since this 
has been out and about other stories um reviewers being well, I say attacked but but reviewers being frowned upon for not liking his stuff by him mm. and I think I do think that if you are going to put out a piece of work that people are paying for that you should be willing to accept both positive and negative opinions mm. it's funny because you're coming from your sort of blog side of things so you know who wrote what um, I don't always tend to pick up on who's written what unless I look it up. So I don't see a, oh, that's written by Nicholas Briggs. I'm not going to get it or I am going to get it because I know what kind of writer he is. I pick up, I see, oh, Big Finish have got this. And, oh, I didn't enjoy that one. Or I did. I, like, I don't, what I'm trying to say is, yeah, I don't always go on that. I don't see, oh, it's written by Nicholas Briggs. And I think some of them I like, some of them I don't. It's just... It just depends, but this one. But like, it's like it's like you you have a podcast. I have a podcast. Yeah, it's not going to be for everybody. No, and I absolutely accept that. So if someone wrote me a negative review, I'd be like, well, fine, that's not for you. But you know, other people enjoy it, and that's fine. But I certainly wouldn't go. Well, your opinion is not worth respecting because you don't like my my podcast. But there must have been so much pressure to get the first one. Yeah, right. In a way, and it just. Just and I certainly it. think, like, you know, and you and I have discussed this kind of off mic before, that if you are somebody who is who absolutely delivers your opinion about other people's work, as Nicholas Briggs does, as Gary Russell does, blah, 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 they've all reviewed and things like this, absolutely you should be able to take those reviews as well. And that's my, I'm going to draw a line on the subject there, but I felt like it was worth saying. Okay, well, let's move on to release number two, shall we? Uh, Phantasmagoria. Oh. So the facts are that uh, this was released in October 1999, written by Mark Gattis, uh, stars Peter Davison, and the return of Turlo, played by Mark Strickson. Uh, this also features Nicholas Briggs, David Williams, and Stephen Wickham. This was directed by Nicholas Briggs with music by Alistair Locke. Oh, Alistair Locke. He invited me oh, over Alistair Locke. <laughs> that takedown score that he did. So Phantasmagoria, mm-hmm. this is where the next these next releases we're talking about. So I had the Sirens of Time. I didn't actually buy the next lot at the time until Gen- the Genocide Machine number seven. Oh my god! Did, so did, came, did Sirens of Time put you off so much that you didn't buy any more? It didn't make me so excited that I've got to get the next one. Twelve-year-old Mark was harsh. I got this way, you know, years and years later, and it didn't really interest me that much. Listening to it again recently, though, I got through it <laughs> for the first time ever, I think, and I, I quite enjoyed it. This I got at the time. So I got them all at the time. I freaking loved this one. I, it was super trad. And this is what I figured these big finishes were going to be like. Now, I was quite surprised as you go along because they they move into quite experimental territory quite early on, Big Finish. Um, but this is like your, <clears throat> it's, you know, like period setting, um, like very florid dialogue from the characters, very, very Richard Mace from The Visitation, you know, very over-the-top performances, a fantastic villain. Till next we meet. We'll see you soon enough, sir. Hanging from a Tyburn gibbet. Perhaps, perhaps. Good night, gentlemen. It has been a pleasure. Ha! A pleasure for you to be robbed by Major Billy Lovemore! 
you hear what he said? I love more. <laughs> Never mind the loss of a few guineas, Jeek. We've just been robbed by the most famous highwayman in London. We'll dine out on this for years. <laughs> <laughs> It's written by Mark Gatiss, and he can write this sort of stuff in his sleep, you know? It's his thing, yeah. It's totally yeah. his his genre. Mm. A sort, yeah. of sort of penny dreadful dialogue, and the, the, it's it's quite grotesque, isn't it? The, the spaceship, isn't it like um, people like hanging from walls and organs and stuff? And it's, it's yeah, it's, I think it's quite memorable. And it has a fantastic score by Alastair Locke. All right. The award is on its way. I was quite surprised... Because if you say, like, right, Doctor Who, we're making official Doctor Who again after all these years, radio play, audio dramas, the first companion to come back, Mark Strickson. You hey. wouldn't, you know what I mean? It's not a bit of a choice. surprise. It's not true. And, in fact, one of my facts is, is that Mark Gates himself is highly critical of Mark Strickson. And so basically he thinks that the, the weakness in this play is Turlow and Mark Strickson's performance. And do you know what? I don't actually disagree. I, I think he's a little bit wooden in this. Well, you mentioned that to me. So when I, I was listening to it, I was sort of listening out for it, but and I, I, I can see that, especially those first scenes with him and the doctor in the TARDIS, mm. it just feels like he's reading the script, but you know, he probably hasn't acted for many, many years when he came back to do this. No. But also, as I went through, I was thinking, that's how he played it as Turlo on TV. It's not, it's not a million miles away. That's just how he did. I mean, yeah, you've got, like, I don't know, Frontios or something, you got a bit more excitable. But a lot of the time, he did play it like that. And, and it wasn't so bad. Action! <laughs> yeah. It's I, I actually enjoyed Turlo quite a lot in this. Uh, because he goes, he's separated from the Doctor quite a lot, and he goes off and has his, and he didn't really do that much on TV. Have his have his own sort of person to talk to and uh, and he go off with and have an adventure with. Flowers and Jasper Jeek. Mm, I really like those characters. Settle your wig, Master Tello. My what? Let's get out into the fresh air. Jasper, look, isn't that him? Why, right. yeah. Flowers, flowers. Where have you been? Cad, the fella's as pale as milk. Certainly doesn't look very well. Where's he going? Flowers? Flowers, it's only us. He's running away. Hot's fish, my friend. This is the second time in as many nights that someone has fled from the company. I'm beginning to worry. Come on, Jasper. Let's get to the bottom of this. Jasper Jeek's played by Mark Gatiss himself, and Mm. Quincy Flowers is played by David Walliams. And they're two just very good actors, you know. And given this sort of Gatiss florid overdone dialogue they just fly it's really really fun and it's a good genre for the fifth doctor as well because yeah like he had what he had the visitation it's something that he hasn't really had as well so it is already trying new things uh and it's and yeah again solo with the fifth doctor and turlo which which is like you can only okay i know you can do your chronology later but you can literally only fit this between two stories can't you do you think that works those two that a male, I think they do a it better later on. There's a story called Singularity that's very good. And then later on, he comes back with Aldenissa and Tegan and some of that. Mm. I mean, the stories aren't great, but I think the interaction works really, really well. Um, yeah. I mean, is Turlo anyone's favourite character? Is anyone desperate to see Turlo back? Like, in his stories on TV, they ignored him half the time and gave him a handful of lines. I got this, um, I've got this signed by Peter Davison 
and Mark Strickson there. He's put to Mark enjoy. See, now you've put, look, now you've got the cover up there next to you. You could cosplay Tolo. You need to have a shave. You're both redheads. You could get into a school uniform. Oh, hang on. Ooh, I'm getting hot. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'll put up. I'll put up now. When I met Mark Strickson, oh, I've met him a couple of times. I've got some photos with him. It just looks like me and then me when I'm older. <laughs> it's like me looking 50 years in the future or something. I've, um, I do have some facts about this story. So Gatiss says this was designed to be a romp and to give Davison a story with some laughs because he felt like the era was quite serious and he kind of resurrection of the Daleks is just basically one long fucking massacre. Um, And then this is something that crops up time and again is Gary Russell's notes to, to the authors because he's absolutely savage. And he wrote, this was his note. My biggest problem is boredom. (laughs) <laughs> that was his note. <laughs> um, so apparently, yeah, there was, there was some rewrites as as we went along. Well, I mean, it, it's a great episode one, and it sets everything up. Yeah, it does sort of flag a little bit, and the conclusion, I think, was just looking at my notes. The conclusion was fairly quick. I thought, mm. um, yeah, it doesn't go. I, I can see the boredom aspect of it. I, I'd say I enjoyed it. But you get caught up in the atmosphere and the characters. Oh, in I terms think, of plot, there's a few points, but it's not. I think um, the where he says that that was Gates's first draft. That's what he said okay. was boring, and then he ca- he went back and because uh, what he did was he gave all the characters authentic period dialogue. So it wasn't this sort of talent of Wang Chiang Jago over the top dialogue. It was all kind of j- and. It was like, well, now that I can't understand what they're talking about. What they're saying. And then he went back and he just did his kind of League of Gentlemen style dialogue. And then the whole thing just sort of flew. Um, the working titles for this were The Chamber of Blood and Restoration. Uh, but Gators is quite critical of this now and says it is all atmosphere and no substance. That's what I just said. Yeah. Although there's a yeah. great cliffhanger, the plot, the twist cliffhanger of Hannah. Oh, that's is yeah. really made me sit up and be like, oh, okay, I didn't see that coming. She's not Major Billy Lovemore. <laughs> it's really good. Oh, I've, I forgot to say as well, uh, with all of these early releases, it's the, uh, it's not the the era, era, uh, theme tune, is it? It's uh, your oh, it's classic. The one, yeah. Well, actually, technically, it's the John Perry one. That's where it first started. Mm. Yeah, and they did in the in the booklets when they started off with sort of the fake Radio Times listings for all of them oh, in the book. Oh, that's cute though. That is which cute. is really cool. It's a good idea. Nice touch. So, Mark, yeah. what are your good and bad then for this? The good was the atmosphere and the setting, mm-hmm. uh, and the romp of it all. I've put. You like a good romp, don't you? I love a romp. Yeah, um, but <laughs> but I. <laughs> um, but the bad, I put not exciting. I thought it was quite exciting. Um, I put the good... Sorry, you, you've genuinely just put one thing, haven't you? There's me with a whole list. Um, yeah, I've yeah. just put the good... There's some wonderfully florid acting. Um, the whole cast is performing with gusto. Lovely, simple storytelling. I quite I quite like a simple storytelling mm. on, on audio. And some really good direction. Uh, Davison is wonderfully relaxed on audio. And there's a great villain. So Nicholas Valentine has got a, a really deep... I never lose sort of voice. He's marvellous. But I put for the bad, maybe it's too simplistic. And also, why the hell wasn't this released first? 
<laughs> instead of Star Wars of Time. Don't yeah, worry. and I could visualize this perfectly as well. I could see all of this, no problem. Yeah, I think so as well. But I think the post-production on this story is really good. And I, I feel like every time they lean into history, the post-production is really good. As they go along, their science fiction stuff just gets better and better and better. Yeah, I think this is, this is just really fun, this story. Like, it's a really yeah. fun story. It's worth going back to if you haven't listened to it. I would recommend giving it another try. Okay, should we go on to the next story? Let's do it. The Whispers of Terror. Uh, this was released in November 1999. Oh, near the millennium. 1999. Party on! <laughs> Party on! <laughs> uh, this was written by Justin Richards. Uh, stars Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant. Also featuring Peter Miles, Lisa Bowerman and Matthew Renner. I think that's how you say it. Uh, directed by Gary Russell. With music by Nicholas Briggs. First of all, I just want to say the music is very authentic to the era in that it bangs on and on. And on. It's that kind of cod electric score. It's very yeah. Time Lash, you know, and Briggs yeah. says that he listened to Time Lash for inspiration. And boy, did he get it. Well, yeah, season 22, Nikki B is in the house. Season <laughs> Okay, I want to I want to say something though because I listened to this one um, at like from a speaker rather than mm. in my ears. I think that was a mistake because I went back and listened to part one in my ears late like yesterday, and this works a million times better when you're listening to it in headphones. Because you know, that's a funny thing. I was gonna I was gonna say actually when you listen to these any of these. Do you do earphones or speaker? No, you generally can. speaking, it's it's um, earphones. But for this one, I listen to out loud. And I wish I hadn't, because a lot of the sound stuff is going from one ear to the other, and it's louder and smaller. And because this is a very kind of orally experimental story, they're... <laughs> they're I'm, doing, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. They're doing... Um, they're, so they're doing really interesting things with the sound design. And I don't think you quite get it when you're listening to it out loud but when it's in your ears it really works a lot better so listening to this i was a little bit disappointed but then when i listened to it in my headphones i was far more impressed the best big finish experiences that i've had Mm. have been earphones in the dark is that because there's no like visual distractions that you can visualize? I don't know. The ones, the stories, or the episodes that I get so that I love and I enjoy and I get really into, it's that setting before I fall asleep. <laughs> if it's amazing, I won't fall asleep if I've got Mark has a habit of putting on audio stories and falling asleep. But the, it makes the standout ones really stand out. If I get through to the end of episode one and I've not fallen asleep, that is the big finish test. All right, guys, uh, that's finish. if you can keep Mark away for 25 minutes, you've won. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I haven't done this in the earphone. So, yeah, this one didn't, again, this one didn't really impress me very much. It sounded very basic to me. Do you I think, just? I think there's probably more going on here than, than you reckon. I, I, I just, I think this is, this really uses... The medium. This could only be told on audio, and not yeah. a lot of big finish stories 
could, you can't say that about many of them. There's a hand- it's sort of obvious to try early on something that you can only do on audio. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea of it. I just, I didn't get into it. I didn't get into the story. It didn't grab me. It, well, it's really interesting because Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant are in this. And obviously we're just on the cusp of the great Colin Baker renaissance where, you know, essentially he becomes most people's favourite audio doctor. And who saw that coming? Because they soften him a bit. They give him a companion that really suits him, blah, blah, blah. In this one, there is a lot of contention still between the sixth doctor and Perry. And you weren't quite sure about how that played out, were you? Well, no, because it starts It starts off very season 22 in that TARDIS scene, doesn't mm. it? Don't look at me when you say dim, you know, all of that stuff. It's a dim and dusty corridor, Doctor. Can't we just leave? 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 You mean go away and never know? Wander for all eternity and never know where we were, what might have been, what was to come? Don't shout, Doctor. There might be... Shout? I don't shout. People who have to resort to shouting to get what they want are merely demonstrating the inherent paucity of their argument. It's something that I never, never... All right, Doctor! Point made, I think. <clears throat> and do uh, you, you would have thought... I know they're trying to recreate that time, that period, but I'm so glad they didn't continue that. This is sort of a one-off in, in that respect, that they, they really started off with that scene as if they'd just come straight from season 23. And you said it softened a little bit throughout this. I didn't get that, really. I, yeah, I felt, I felt that first scene was very, they were really at each other's throats. And then as the story progresses, they're kind of working together a lot more. But you go forward to something like Ish, um, mm. and it's softened completely. And actually, do you know what? I'm going to be bold and say, I think at the point we are now, the Colin Baker, Nicola Bryan combination is the strongest that Big Finish has. As of this moment, because Maggie Stables has ducked out and uh, Sheridan Smith uh, is is no longer doing audios, um, there were there's, there were certain combinations that I would put a bit higher. But I think that Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant, they've just got like twenty years of chemistry behind them now, <clears throat> and well, and and they've done all those um, spin off videos together. They have, yes. Uh, <clears throat> but I, do, I do, and I th- I think it's really really strong. But yeah, perhaps these were quite humble beginnings it is it is very catty and very bitchy in places perry didn't have much to do in this no i know hardly in it and as they go along they learn how to give her more things to do Mm. don't they like again i'll you know i'll talk about ish again like she gets her own subplot in ish where she's got a companion and she's investigating you know and she's smart as well in that she's written as really smart she's here the doctor's companion in this, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Well, hardly that even. Uh, but it's a good guest cast. It is. I... Well, you've got Lisa Bowman in there playing the villain. Now we we love Lisa Bowman, but she's Bernice, isn't she? She so is Bernice. You're familiar with those, and you, you just hear Bernice. Like, like in terms of villainous performances, this is incredibly uncharismatic. I would say just go for it. If you're going to be a villain, just go for it. If you're playing another role in another range. Mm. And she just sort of lowers her voice a little bit. And it's a bit bland. I was quite surprised. I think well, bland sums up the whole thing for me here. And you have Peter Miles and he's classic Nida. 
but he always sort of plays it a bit nider. Everything sounds, I just imagine it as nider whenever I hear Peter Miles. <laughs> He's um, playing a blind character, isn't he? Yeah. Absolutely. Again, it's, a, it's something you could only do on audio. So he's, it, we can hear him talking to another character, but actually, that's not another character. That's the that's Vistine Crane, isn't it? And also, it gets he can then explain things that he's, or people yeah. can explain things to him and the audience at the same time, which, which is, is very useful. That's very clever, though. That's a really good device. And as we go along, we'll see lots of different kind of like uh narrative devices that big finish uses mm-hmm. in order to like there's newscasts and things like that where you can explain the action you know because sometimes the dialogue can be very like you know oh my god those tent poles are rising into the air in front of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly ah! you know, but it's, here it's okay because of all the audio stuff and the the standout moments for me were when they're listening to these recordings over and over again and the yeah. words change and you listen to it yeah. again that's the perfect use of audio medium i would have liked more of that to go through and it I changed there, more and there's there's some creepy moments though as well with the sound design there's a bit where a man's attacked and there's like laughter ringing and whispering voices and things like this and again i think it is works much better like maybe try this one in the dark in in headphones you know (laughs) you get some the cliffhangers while they're not amazing it starts off a great i mean i i'm sure colin baker the sixth doctor has had the same cliffhangers throughout all of his stories there's so many of my mind it's in my mind (laughs) you know ah my mind you not do that when i'm taking a drink I was how, getting, many, um, how many has he had in all of his bitch finished stories? No! Slipback slip vibes, because in Slipback, every cliffhanger yeah. is like, no, Perry! <laughs> you know? Yeah. Got to get this to Penel. Got to stop. Got to stop. Broadcast will commence in 40 seconds. No! He does that so that is that is very sick thought to Colin Baker. He gets the most of those. They learn to calm that down as they go along. He gets far less of those as they go along. In this story, it's particularly bad. There's one brilliant one. <laughs> He's like, I know what you are now. You are the voice of Vistine Crane. <laughs> and it's like, tone it down, Colin. Bring it down. I, you know, I love Colin Baker. I love him to pieces. My favourite doctor. But boy, can, sometimes he's up there in the fucking stratosphere. And he... I know. I know. But you, you've got to do your cliffhanger ending. You've got your cliffhanger acting, haven't you? What's your good and bad for this then? Good was just the concept of it and the way that he uses the the audio medium, uh, as they say. What? Um, it's uh, an audio. No, the way that the bits, like I said, with the they change the audio and the the voices and. If we, if we had to listen to that bloody speech one more time. Dreams of empire. No! <laughs> you know, very over the top. Dreams of empire. Dreams of empire. <laughs> Dreams of Empire! <laughs> Sorry, um, And the bad, I just put um, the execution uh, of the sound and the editing. Some of those bits where they're like uh, the literal whispers of terror, I suppose you'd call them, are a little bit... Well, but, but again, if I tried it in my ears, I might have a different opinion of that. But it, yeah, it didn't stand out enough for me. 
I, I put as good um, an incre- intriguing use of audio, uh, very clever in places. I think there are some good twists in this um, that you're only able to achieve on audio. And I just put Colin Baker. I mean, I think for every Colin Baker story, I will just put Colin Baker. But yeah. do you know what? He's loving doing this. And the bits where he's doing like all the investigating and things like that, man, oh man, there's just no one finite on audio. I'm sorry. He's loving it. Bad, I put Lisa Bowman is Bernie Summerfield. Oh, okay. That's, a, yeah. Okay. I don't think it's a great performance, if I'm honest. I don't. It's, it's adequate. It's unmemorable. And it should have been more memorable than it is. Her death is memorable when she goes off in that car and it crashes. Mm. Um, I put it's awkwardly directed in spots, which is kind of what you said. Um, and terrible cliffhangers. <laughs> uh, I've got some facts, though. If you... Um, okay. Harvey Summers, who did the post-production, was yeah. very stressed out making this um, and said to uh, Gary Russell, next time I want to do something simpler. And to be fair, this probably was a fair challenge to to kind of realise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, after reading for episode one, get this, <laughs> Gary Russell was two thirds for episode one and it was already 45 minutes long. So it had to be scaled back a lot. Apparently, you know, dreams of empire that literally that played out like tons and tons of times. You had to cut it right back. So given how many times we hear that bloody speech, there was more. Um, And Justin Richards says he wanted to write the Colin Baker. We should have got with a love of language and enjoying himself. And I think he achieved that. Yeah. And actually this could be a solo sick doctor story. You don't need Perry there. He could carry that and be, that character that comes into the Museum of All Antiquities. I don't know. Um, I do, don't you love that bit at the beginning where he he's winding her up so much because uh, he's like, I never, never shout. People who shout to get their own way, you know, are on very shaky terms. And he winds her up mm. to the point where she shouts. And then he goes, point proven. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a bitch, I swear. Let's move on to the next one then. The Land of the Dead. Do we have to? There's always one. There's always one. Oh, and it's this one. This was not great. Uh, so this was released in January 2000. The first month of the new millennium. And this was what we got. Uh, it was written by Stephen Cole. Uh, stars Peter Davison and Sarah Sutton. Also features Andrew Fetz. Fetz, Fetz from Auton. Who is he in Auton? He's the soldier. Uh, and he's married to Verona Shard in real life. Verona Shard or Castleton? Joe Castleton. Verona Shard. <gasps> well then, he's amazing. Donkey, lift your tail up, lift your tail up, lift your tail up. Oh, I should explain that Verona Shard from Autumn Number One has a jazz album out there. And if you don't want to listen to Land of the Dead, and why would you? It's shite. Go listen to Verona Shard's jazz album instead. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) with music by Nicholas Briggs back on the decks (laughs) Nicholas Briggs man (laughs) (laughs) he's doing a lot of music isn't he he's out there he's DJing away right um, can I tell you something about this story right okay apparently this was written in seven days Okay, because Sarah Sutton was off on our holidays for three weeks. Three bloody weeks. Who has holiday for three weeks? 
I know. She's obviously got a very privileged background, hasn't she? Off, probably off with her family. Her dad's a pilot, you know, so he's probably very well paid. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. I hope you're not listening to this, uh, Sarah Simon. Um, and um, so this had to be written in a massive hurry. Uh, I think it shows. This was tough. This was even going through re- revisiting. This was tough to get through. I had to force myself through the last episode. So episode one is all right. And these are slightly longer episodes, about half an hour, 35 minutes. Some, some but do you know, I, do you know um, what I noticed about episode one was every single character introduced themselves and their background. And, and you know, like, you know, hello, I am the indigenous population man. And I have had an argument with the multimillionaire villain because his dad and my dad. Uh, but it was it was just all exposition. It, it, it none of the dialogue w- was crafted. It, it felt no. it felt like it was rushed. And we've had the return of Sarah Sutton, Nissa. Yeah, she sounds bored in this one. I think. Well, again, it's the first one back. I mean, she took the script on the holiday. Maybe she didn't have a chance. Maybe she was on the sangrias too much and didn't. Well, I'm assuming she wanted it. So she could read it over those three weeks. Yeah, but she probably, yeah, it doesn't mean she did. Um, it's <laughs> She's stupidly on the same greens. <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and this one's set in Alaska. And I like that. Then you like, I like the kind of the wind and the. It's you know. a good setting. And I, again, I like the idea behind it. So you've got this guy that's building. I actually, I had problems visualizing this one a little bit because you've got a guy building some house or something in Alaska somewhere. Well, it's like, it's like a big manor house, isn't it? In, in the snow. That's cool. But then they describe this sort of... He, has he got like an indoor beach or something behind My sea room. <sighs> Shame it's so cold. You'd always have somewhere to lay your beach towel. <laughs> Remarkable, isn't it? The house is actually built into the rock face. It forms the far wall there. And is the rest of the landscape so genuine? 500,000 gallons of Arctic seawater and an actual stretch of coastline. All transplanted and reconstructed. You even have your own virtual tides. Keyed to the movement of our holographic moon. There's even sea life here. Seals, walruses. Oh, I'm sure they appreciate it all far more than the real thing. Perhaps that's why we can't see any of them today. You don't approve, Doctor. Oh, it's an extraordinary achievement. Absolutely. It's only the context, I question. I so I was like, hang on, what? How can you have a whole sea? And he was like, yeah, they've got like the tide or something like that. But animals living, it's got to be, I think it's not like a swimming pool or something. It's a sea in his house. And you've got this, um, the character who's like the interior designer. She's a bit annoying. That Monica Lewis. Monica. She, oh, is, Monica. she is literally Tegan, all right? It is, it is Tegan in, because uh, she's always bloody whinging all the way through. And then they find, the idea is, again, I didn't really, couldn't really even visualise the monsters in this. Some sort of bone creature thing. It's a it's a dinosaur made out of bones. Yeah, but they don't... Yeah, but they... So there's different versions, isn't there? Because one of them comes out of the sea and it's made up of all, like, blubber of, like, bits of seal and stuff it's eaten. I've got some here if you want it. <laughs> so it all... And, and then there's a sort of skeleton thing that they find in the wall that's, like, trying to get out... And it was just, a monster it felt like a bit of a mess around the, the rooms, isn't there, as well? Because it's doing yeah. proper dinosaur noises. Its visual appearance is terrifying enough, but if it developed the ability to affect its prey mentally, yes, an evolutionary breakthrough. Oh dear. What is it? The skeletal creature, it's broken free and we can't stop it. What? And now it's moving towards me. What? How close is it? 
uh, 12 meters or so, but it's 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 changed. It looks bigger than before. Becca, Doctor, you must get out of And the there. skeleton looks different. It's moving more upright. The tail is less pronounced. Has it seen you? Oh, yes. Very. Doctor, you have to get out. Nissa, are you there? What's happened, Nissa? But it's like skeletal. So there's there was too many different things for me to be like. Hang on, what? I can't imagine what this even looks like. And let's face it, the cover isn't the best, is it? It doesn't well, do a very good job. There's of- an alternative cover out there where someone's done it with um the yeah put it up right now uh of the it's not it's online oh <laughs> a dinosaur made out of bones and it looks really really exciting like it, it looks terrific um that would have been a fun these copy and paste cut out covers i'll tell you what they're terrible aren't they i mean it's not as bad as shadow and the scourge but this is pretty bad it's early days okay <laughs> bloody excuse the covers for like the the new adventure bernice range are absolutely stunning and they were before this anyway back to the land of the dead okay uh, um i put everyone's a bit of a non-entity there's no none of them really stand out for me it's a very small cast and it's supposed to be it could have been very much more atmospheric everybody's trapped in alaska in this thing you've got these five characters you just you want didn't, you didn't get on. that you just want this to be Winter for the Adepts, don't you? Oh, my God, I love Winter for the Adepts. Well, it's very, yeah, I mean, well, it's not very similar, but, it, yeah, it could, that's quite the atmosphere. The setting's similar. But this doesn't have that, the, the most exciting bit, I think, was when Nissa went out in the truck with that guy and they sort of crashed. But apart from that, there wasn't anything, and I, I really struggled with getting past episode one. I did episode two, like, three times and kept falling asleep. Oh, episode three i can't remember episode four i need to acknowledge that mark has this amazing capacity to just start episodes again and again and again if he falls asleep whereas i just can't do that i I will force myself through to the end i can't i fall asleep and then i'm like right i missed that and then i i will start the episode from the beginning i won't even try and find one i'll be like right i know what happened in episode one let's start again with episode two and see if i can get through to us to the end no okay start again episode two right let's keep going let's keep going trying to like and this one really i just had that over and over again <sighs> well it's I said- bland it's complete nothing you know the atmosphere of phantasmagoria here i mean i'm so glad this wasn't the first fifth doctor story because it'll be like oh god you know at least we know that peter davidson can have some decent stories and i mean they act it all right he acts it all right he tries his best but I said the good was the wintry setting and mm. Davison is slowly perfecting his doctor on audio. Mm. The bad was the narrative was really dull. <clears throat> the Inuit stuff, you know, like the indigenous population stuff, like unless you know what you are talking about. Yeah. Unless you were going to write that with nuance and a mm. bit of detail, don't go there. Star Trek Voyager did a Native American stuff and it's painful. And this was pretty painful as well. And he said he read some books and things like this. And you know, well, I don't know how much he read in there seven days to write it. But I, I wasn't sold personally. It felt very simple and very basic. Uh, and I also said Sarah Sutton sounds bored and it's far too long. This one felt like, or maybe it's just because it was so fucking boring, but it felt like it went on forever. <laughs> They try and give Nissa a little bit of something interesting. She has a bit of a 
Delta Wave moment with her psychicness, but it doesn't. Uh, but the other characters have that. There's, I don't know. These creatures give off psychic energy or something. Uh, it's and that would have been perfect to build on that a bit more for Nissa. To she has a sort of yeah mental. Well, they do I more with that period. In, then that's I mean, horrible. But, but when she goes back to Traco, then she has like psychic attack from Quanda. Yeah. Um, Quanda. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it ain't enough though to say this. Can I tell you the most hilarious fact about this story? Okay. <laughs> this is right on my street. This is so there was a line in the original script that was so obscene that Gary Russell went, You gotta take that out. Oh my god, what is it? It's not about bone, it's, it's not about boner. It's meant in complete innocence, though. The line, okay, because they're talking about eating like the native animals. <laughs> Someone says, have you ever eaten beaver, Nissa? <laughs> <laughs> Russell T. Davis says, yes. <laughs> oh, dear. The other fact I had is that this was supposed to be, uh, the fear monger was supposed to be brought out in this slot because it was supposed to be 5th, 6th, 7th. Mm. But there were delays with the fear monger. So this mm. was rushed into production. So I think this was all made in a bit of a hurry. Um, well, they mustn't have had faith in the uh, in the audio because in here in the booklet, and they put a little map of the the layout of the bunker of or, or the house of where this is. Is that not supposed to be just like a fun a fun little visual thing? Or you you think that they don't they don't describe it well enough within the story to trust that you would know? Well, it's a bit of an unusual. Here's a map. Here's a map of what you of the house <laughs> that we're in. And where things are, that's a bit of an odd thing. Well, let's go on to the fearmonger then. Now you're talking. Now you're getting my juices flowing. The fearmonger yes. released in February 2000, mm-hmm. uh, written by Jonathan Blum, starring Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Eldred. Also starring Jacqueline Pierce, Vince Henderson, and Mark McDonnell. Mm-hmm. Directed by Gary Russell. Music by Grammy Award winner Alastair Locke. The music was released as part of the music from the Big Finish Adventures Volume 1, along with mm. the Marion Conspiracy. I can't remember what the third one was. I don't know, but it's a great release. All right. If you like the music of Big Finish, which I do, and I don't care, you've got your chronology section. I'll talk about the music. All right. Um, if you like the music, go find those ones because those uh, music CDs are extremely good. So the Fearmonger. Uh, again, one that I came back to later on, and this is the only time I've all gone through the whole thing. It was okay, better than I thought. This really tries, well, for, for me, it tried to recreate that New Adventures 7th Doctor and Ace. That's deliberate. You go, Absolutely deliberate. Because you go straight into the story, don't you? It's it's your typical, it, it's the sort of iconography of the 7th Doctor and Ace. They're, the monster is already there. They've already been investigating it for a long time they're in the middle of their operational what if they're trying to do when you're straight you're straight into the story there so you're i mean i'm always trying to like catch up. i don't know if i actually like what you're doing right there I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like oh the fear monger no i'm like i'm always trying to like catch up um i don't know if i like that i don't think i don't really like the new adventures because of that but it's yeah but I, yeah it can work her. really well to have the doctor and the companion already into the story. That can work really well. I thought it worked really well here, actually. I like how he's introduced via the radio show and he's just like making comments 
and then he takes over like very McCoy he takes over the radio show doesn't he to get the message out to the terrorist let's just talk okay the DJ very annoying and we're back with another hour of the Mick Thompson show home of the real story all the little things the uni loonies and greasy PC freaks don't want you to hear And now it's time for our latest round of official denials, folks. Yep, the officials have spoken, and there is no truth to the rumour that Sherilyn Harper, the new Britannia party leader, was too drunk to stand at the party conference last week. A spokesman for Mrs Harper said she was fatigued and suffering from a sore hip, and that reports to the contrary were, and I quote, scurrilous and politically motivated. Very annoying. But... I think it's deliberate. He's supposed to be... No, he, it's written. They're always insulting him and telling him his programme's terrible and telling him how but he's just making a lot of noise. What's the, the annoying? Is it the what he's saying and he's just going on? Or is it the acting and the well, way he well, says think, it? Because for me... It's in the writing. The way he's like, hey, yeah, and we're here to do this, and we're going to do this, and, uh, 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 and I'm here to talk about to this. No. It's full of people like that. And he's yeah, written with he, lines he, like, what does he call them? Greasy PC? Yeah, oh, I hate that line. That's the worst. And that's They put that in the trailer and I've heard that so much. The greasy PC. No, he just says it in a really annoying way, but I, I think it's the acting. I don't think it's... I don't think that's a terrible performance. I think I think that is a oh, deliberately yes. irritating performance. I don't think that's deliberate. And the worst bit is much, I think in part four, when he's out on the road, he's like, oh, and this has happened here. And I can see this happening in front of me here. And oh, and and it's not even, it's the same as him talking in episode one. There's no, there's no reality to it at all. And it just annoyed me. I, I didn't think he was so bad. I did like that scene with the riot, but they do it again in Live Live 34, is it called? Much later on, where it's all done through newscasts like that. And it's it's way more effective, way more frightening as well. I thought this was pretty good, actually. And as a whole, um, I think it's trying to be really edgy and it kind of gets halfway there because it's all terrorism isn't it it's um a fascist political party and then these kind of left like the extreme left wingers trying to bring them down with uh bombs and assassination attempts and things like that. it feels so new adventures it's basically like a, a, a syringe full of the new adventures going straight in your neck and you've got um, Sylvester McCoy's doctor being all dark and menacing, which I thought worked really well in this. Um, and Sophie Aldridge full of angst and, and not trusting him because she thinks he's taken over by the fear monger lately, later, isn't she? And she's like, no, you know, all, all this kind of screaming and shouting that Sophie she Aldridge gets shot. That was a shock. That was a highlight for me. Well, because well, she's trying to do the bit from the Happiness Patrol, isn't she? Where she's like, you could just got to put the gun down and boo, hey! Like, you know, I didn't get yeah, The only thing I had to look up on this was, so she gets shot and she's in the hospital and then there's a nice little scene with the doctor there. And then a few minutes later, she's up and about and all over the place. And I read in the on Wiki that it's three weeks later and she's recovered. I didn't get that at all when I listened to it. <laughs> But do you know what I thought was exceptionally good in this was Jacqueline Pierce and Hugh Waters as Sherilyn Harper and her sidekick. And the scene at the end where McCoy brings her down 
and says, I'm going to leave you to the mob now. You created this mess and they're going to come and get you. That's as good as the scene between uh, the Seventh Doctor and Helen A in Happiness Patrol. It was really, I didn't... really strong. You made the mob and now it's coming for you. Ridiculous. We didn't hurt anyone. I told Roderick to make sure they only went after property. Yes, I thought so. For the gun attacks, I made sure I was the only one near the line of fire. If there's anyone who should have been that afraid, it was me. And you don't see me smashing cars in the street now, do you? And now everyone thinks I'm responsible for the violence and the bloodshed and the people being dragged out of their homes and beaten and... But you're not responsible, are you? No, you're right. Of course not, I'm just... Afraid. Yes, but, but I... Doctor, where have you gone? Don't leave. Doctor, where are you? I didn't think um, Jacqueline Pierce. she wasn't as central or she wasn't in, actually in it as much as I thought she was going to be. I was ready for a server land, but we didn't really get that. No. And in my mind, when I'm listening to it, all I'm imagining is her from the two doctors in that silvery outfit. <laughs> oh, really? No, I thought she was. I thought she was superb in this. I love the bit where she goes on the radio show and she's like, "You can't even face me, can you, Walter?" You know, she's like spitting poison into her microphone. All your guns and your bombs, and you can't even face me. Part one and part two, I, I enjoyed more than three and four. It just, it just started to. I think that's just me. Um, and it was such an abrupt ending as well. I know things were sorted out a lot early on in part four with everything, but then with the fearmonger stuff, and then suddenly it just stopped. That, that Did you not me. like the twist at the end? I really like the twist that the yeah. fearmonger isn't in the people that the person can hear it. It's in the person who can hear it. And that's how it provokes the fear by making them think it's in other people. I thought that was really clever. I struggled with the whole concept of the fearmonger, to be honest. It's a fearmonger from the planet Fearmongos. <laughs> I, yeah, I, because I don't know if I, you know, that's not as it's not my style. I like things in order. This is happening, and so that maybe that's why I don't like this one as much because you go straight in, and you know, I, I, I would rather. Oh, what's happening? Oh, this fearmonger thing has arrived. Let's find out. Rather than they already know what it is, they're not explaining to me what is happening. I'm trying to catch up. I'm just not. Okay. I tried very gently to tell you the other day that you like a simpler narrative, and you looked so insulted when I told you that. I know. Um, but I think, you, but that's in no way an insult because, like, next is the Marion conspiracy. I know we're not covering that today, but I know you really enjoy that one. And it has a very simple narrative. And I don't know, it's not simple. There's lots going on in it, but it has a very clear cut narrative. And uh, yeah, this, this was a bit more, a bit more complicated. I think the, yeah, that style of it, plus the annoying DJ, just greasy PC. Um, can I tell you a really interesting story from the inside story? Cause this is, uh, this is proper gossip, this one. Ooh, so this, this went through a, a long and torturous like process of being written. Um, and Jonathan Blum, who is Kate Orman's partner, um, and if you recall, Walking to Babylon went through a, <laughs> a long and torturous process as well. And essentially, um, 
Blum wrote the initial script and it went through several sets of eyes, Briggs and Russell, and they all said it was really problematic and it really needed like rewriting. And then Blum heard nothing for six weeks. And then all of a sudden it had to be written in a hurry. And there was just lots of feedback coming back and forth. And he says in, in the interview in this, that he came as close to having a nervous breakdown as he ever has writing this script and getting the feedback that he got. Um, and, you know, like usually with these things, the truth is somewhere in the middle between the person divvying out the feedback and the person receiving it. I've, I'm sure there's a fair bit of like blame what, as to why this wasn't working. Um, but this was this was the most troubled big finish story from script to being produced. And um, John Blum never wrote it for it again and he says at the end with some regret that he kept asking Gary Russell will you have me back um and Gary Russell kept fobbing him off and then he wrote so again I suppose I should take the hint you know uh-huh. and that's this kind of sad because I don't think this is terrible I think this is a pretty good script uh yeah if you like that style if you like that style and Jonathan Blunt he does he's done new adventure stuff I think so he's perfect for uh eighth doctor he did eighth doctor eighth with him. stuff so yeah he's what, more of a science C&I like good yeah. students, you know yeah but it, maybe he's more of a novels writer than for audio drama but maybe this would have worked better on audio well what's your good and bad then do you know what I didn't actually put a good and bad for this one uh <laughs> But I, did. but I will say Seventh Doctor and Ace, great. So Esther McCoy and Sophie Aldred back together as official Seventh Doctor and Ace, great. Um, I like the cliffhanger. Ace being shot, the cliffhanger. That was another moment where I was like, oh, okay. That wasn't. I didn't see that coming. Um, bad. Like I said, you thrown into it. I didn't get the concept of the fear monger myself personally. Sorry, um, and. Yeah, and stuff like it's supposed to be three weeks later and things. I just didn't pick up on certain things. But maybe it's one that I will go back and concentrate on even more, I think. And then maybe I'll enjoy it more. But it, it, it wasn't easy for me to listen to. It wasn't an easy ride. I have no comment. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so my good is Seven Doctor and Ace. I said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Just their chemistry. Uh, Jacqueline Pierce and Hugh Waters. Um, I thought it had good quiz, good good twists. Sorry, um, like the end of part two, um, and I thought there was a it was a very novel concept, the fear monger, and I and I won't say this too often. I thought Sylvester McCoy was excellent in this. So you're not you you're not a fan of Sylvester McCoy's acting or Sophie Aldridge's acting on occasion. Neither generally, and as these audios go on in stories like the Rapture. It is very troubling. Cold it's like some mm. of their stories, they are the weakest thing about those stories. And like, you know, I think they both can do okay on TV. I, I'm not sure audio plays to either of their strengths, if I'm honest. But he's very good in this. And every now and again, in an audio, he's like the best doctor on audio, master, a thousand tiny wings, you know, every now and again. Um damaged goods 
every now and again he's brilliant and he was brilliant in this i thought he he brings his voice down to that sort of slow menace it's just your worst nightmare and i'm like oh god it's first yeah. coy stop giving me the willies oh sorry willies the first mccoy put it away um and that ferret as well <laughs> I put the bad was this is angst ridden. There's a lot of angst in this, especially that. that what's the name of the guy who's having the breakdown? Oh, yeah, I can't remember his name, but yeah. But that's new adventures for you. It's very melodramatic. Um, I just put Sophie Aldrin, and um, it's not as subtle as it could be. Like it is literally left versus right in this, mm. and that ain't subtle at all, you know? Mm. I would give this, like, a solid 7 out of 10. I think it's a good production. I think it has good moments. So how would you rank them, then, these five? Uh, so I would say... Perhaps surprisingly, Phantasmagoria, Whispers of Terror, The Fearmonger, Land of the Dead, Sirens of Time. Joe, you know I do exactly the same. Really? Yeah. Wow. My God. It could be love, you know, honestly. Not the best bunch, actually. Not the best bunch to begin no. with. Uh, but for anyone who thinks we've been too critical, well, I haven't been that critical because we've said some no. positive things. The next bunch, Mark loves. He loves all of them. They are my favourites, the next bunch. I think so. you're crazy. Some of them are shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> So we're gonna do the chronology first this time. Uh yeah, okay. We'll we'll chronologize. It's still fairly simple this time. Uh so how what is I'm doing everybody... how is the sirens of time simple? Okay, hold on, hold on, I'll tell you. So just to let everyone know, so I will be putting these, especially with these Doctor Who ones, putting them where they fit within the TV continuity. So if you want to do a big marathon of TV, Doctor Who, and all the audio and the worlds of Doctor Who on audio within, this is this is your guide. And we'll build it up episode by episode. So it's really simple at the moment because I'm literally just slotting them in between the TV ones. No problem. It's going to get more complicated when there's multiple audios to fit around. Oh, can I just uh, add, uh, as a little caveat, though, uh, Mark is not including novels or audios that are spoken to in the third person, okay? Yeah, they're the rules, they're my rules. It's your own continuity, everyone has their own rules. So here we go. So Sirens of Time, you've got your three Doctors in there, which you would think might be complicated. But in my rules, I go with the latest Doctor within that story. So this, for me, is the seventh Doctor story. And you have the sixth Doctor and the fifth Doctor returning. So I'm not going to put them within the sixth Doctor or fifth Doctor's timeline. This is the seventh Doctor story. Walter Pitts and goes Tegan Turlow, stay in the TARDIS. But you're not. You're not going to do a chronology. You're not going to watch Warriors of the D and then be like, right, I'm going to go and listen to episode two of Sirens of Time now because it doesn't make any sense. So this that's why this is a seventh Doctor story. It's not a fifth Doctor story. And episode four, I think you're fine. It's in both of those. Yeah, but you're not you're not gonna do it then. You're doing it seventh Doctor style. <laughs> so eventually we will build up a whole season of solo seventh Doctor adventures where this will fit. But at the moment, because we're early, early on, it is just between survival and the TV movie. So this is this is just before he gets the master's remains uh, to take 
back to Gallifrey in the TV movie. So that's where it sits for me. And the Sixth Doctor and Fifth Doctor are returning. Then it's not part of their timeline. Okay. Okay. Uh, Phantasmagoria, again, really straightforward. There's nowhere else for it to go at the moment. Between Resurrection of the Daleks and Planet of Fire, the Fifth Doctor and Turlo are off together, having a great time. It's funny, isn't it? Because I felt like in Planet of Fire, they didn't have any time at all after. He even mentions Tegan at the beginning of Planet of Fire. But I think we've finished doing this a lot, you know. They end up squeezing in great big penises between two... Oh, sorry. They end up... (laughs) They end up squeezing in great big... (laughs) Great big wads of stories in between two stories on television. Well, yeah, that is the only annoying thing. Because, yeah, at the beginning of Planet of Fire, Turlo's like, do you think Tegan will be all right? And it's like, well, actually, we've got a whole season eventually if we finish stuff. Oh, Maybe what? he's just thinking of Tegan. Maybe he's just thinking, oh, I haven't thought of Tegan for... No, because he says Daleks, those mutated misfits. So we need another story featuring Tegan and the Daleks to take place. <laughs> a big finish story. Yeah. <laughs> we might be able to stop things around depending uh, with other... Turno stories, how, how it goes, but it's just going there for the moment. Uh, and then Whispers of Terror is very interesting because we're talking about the dynamic between the Sick Doctor and Perry. It's still that very season 22. Um, I'm just going to put it after Revelations of Daleks and before Trial of the Timeline. I'm not going to slot it within season 22 uh, because we'll make up our own extra season 23 of audios eventually. And it's four parts rather than that two 45-minute format. So if I'm doing my marathon of season 22, I don't want a four-parter in the middle of that. And then what do we have next? Land of the Dead. Easy again. Who cares where that fits in? Oh, sorry. Go Land of the Dead. Between Time Flight and Ark of Infinity, they've left Tegan behind at Heathrow. I think Tegan is mentioned, isn't it? Does Nissa say, is that where we left Tegan or something like that, I think. Uh, so again, we will build up a couple of seasons worth of just Fifth Doctor and Nissa stories. Which is- a couple of seasons? Are you joking me? There's an entire bloody library of the ones by the end. But I think that's a perfect gap because, you know, Tegan has been away for a while. I think it's it doesn't, it makes sense. That it gap. does feel like in Ark of Infinity, she's been gone a little while, doesn't it? And they have, yeah. they have had some adventures. Yeah. So they've been having spare parts, circular time, you know, they've been busy. Okay, so what about um, the Fearmonger? Fearmonger. Well, we said a bit, it's a bit um, later. The dynamic is more new adventures. You're so, only including the books. But I'm not including the books. So we easy again to begin with it's not within any of the TV run because it, it wouldn't really fit it's it's post season 26 so between survival and Sirens of Time at the moment in our little seventh doctor timeline which we're going to build up it, we'll see I will put this a bit later because we end up getting the, the lost season 27 don't we a bit later on and a lot more seventh doctor and eight stories I feel this is a little bit later on as near to the new adventures times as, as we can get uh, and um, it's been, what, it's set in 2002, isn't it? Because it's been um, a while since Ace has been in Perivale. So we'll just make a note of that. This is a, well, I'm presuming the first time she's been back since Survival. So um, we'll just make sure she doesn't go back to Perivale and any others first. Work it out as we go along there with references. So easy to begin with. What ho, hey ho, it's Joe on Doco Ho. Here we are, back up. Um, I am examining my own blog to see what bollocks I talked about all those years ago. 
And so, so was the Cyrus of Time the first review you would have written? I think it was. Yeah, yeah, it was the first one. Yeah, the first of like two thousand odd reviews or whatever I've written now. So, so you sat down, you'd listened to the Cyrus of Time, or you'd been listening to Big Finish a little while, and no, then you were like, initially. Right. So initially, I wrote notes. So I listened and wrote reams of fucking notes and then typed this thing out using the notes. Well, I got to a point about 50 in, I think, where I was like, no, I could just listen to this and type. <laughs> so I started doing wow. that instead. But let's see what I have to say about the sirens of time. God. Uh, Peter Davison is a revelation on audio, commanding and older sounding. <laughs> older sounding. <laughs> what a wally. <laughs> um, I say about uh, the sixth doctor, he's the first real renaissance of Big Finish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. I, I point out one of Nick Briggs's dialogue, uh, a, bit, a bit of his dialogue that's really awful. Are you ready for this? I trust you to drive me naked for a cheese grater. Oh, yeah, that did stand out. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you don't want that on audio. You don't want that at all, but you don't want it on audio either. I said the individual stories aren't interesting. Everything feels oddly disjointed. Um, and I put Nick Briggs will write and direct far better and worse. <laughs> I, don't, I don't agree with that anymore. I don't think he wrote or directed much worse than this. Well, yeah, okay. So it hasn't really changed that much. No, no, no. I think, generally speaking, I'm kind of in tune with myself, but every now and again, we'll throw some out. Um, Phantasmagoria. I say Turlo was my only real grumble with the story, and he still is. Um, this is a story that is playing on atmosphere rather than mad creativity. Oh, I say it's an incredible coincidence that Valentine's ship just happens to be ready at the climax of the story. Because that is true, isn't it? Yeah, I know, but you can say that about any Doctor Who story, can't you? You just so happened to need one last person, and it was during episode four. But there's nothing here that's especially fresh, but all the pieces are put together with gusto. So Whispers of Terror, I say, opens with the Doctor and Perry being mad at each other. Unnecessarily so. Did you say dim? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where we are you said i did think it was a bit of a strange thing to say at the time <laughs> i put oh this is what you said i can never decide if perry is an integral part of the show or a waste of a character with enormous potential <laughs> i thought you were gonna say enormous breasts then i say lisa bauman makes a surprisingly uncharismatic villain i'm choosing to ignore that comment <laughs> Um, the end of episode three is really badly directed. I think that's the one where he's like, God, that's drying my mind. My mind. No. (laughs) Perry. Perry. Oh, I actually say it commits to telling a story as intriguingly and as intellectually as possible. Uh, For Land of the Dead, I say the Doctor is saddled with this supremely irritating T-Gang clone, Monica Lewis. I don't think she's so bad. I put, this is a fine return for Nyssa because she's given lots to do. Well, bloody bollocks what am I what talking, talking about? about you listen to the right audio there obviously not no I said oh an unmemorable score I weren't happy with the music oh I put on audio the dinosaurs look incredible <laughs> <laughs> well it's true you could, you got unlimited budget on audio I think you could agree with this Land of the Dead is far too long and poorly executed yeah yeah and for the fear monger I say it capitalises on the 
Seventh Doctor's strength, his quiet menace, and it jettisons all of his histrionics. Well, he's not going, Elenya, in this one. Well, no, I know. But he only does that when the the scene requires it. it, The fear monkey is that more serious manipulator, isn't he? So... You skip forward into the rapture and he's like, hey, it's Dorothy McShane. I put the creature's backstory is handled quickly and efficiently. And I still agree with that. I know you don't, but I, I still agree with that. Pierce gives a committed performance. Occasionally, Aldred is too hysterical. Yeah. I think you say that about her every time, though, don't you? She is so. Oh, and it gets worse. Wait till we get to those uh, ones with Seventh Doctor Perry. No, uh, sorry, Seventh Doctor Mel and Ace. Oh, it's awful. Um, oh, I say it surprises you with its guts and edgy storytelling. Um, I, I think, though, with all of, I'm going to be perfectly frank, with all of my reviews of these stories, I think I am, I was kinder then than I would be now. So where I gave an eight, I'd probably give a seven. Where I gave a seven, I'd probably give a six. And that is only because I was listening to these as they first came out and reviewing them. And I think as the first 100 went along, they just get better and better at making them. So now I'm comparing those early ones to the ones that come later and they don't hold up quite as well sometimes. Yeah. And this is probably one of the worst covers ever. (laughs) Yes, it still is. Yes. Her hair just goes straight into a, you don't know where it starts and stops, do you? She could just be a face with what? hair. What is Come that thing behind them? What is that thing? <laughs> is it a skull? It's supposed to be the monster thing. That's what confused me. Yeah, it's a skull with a... Oh, I don't know what it is. Anyway, it's there you go. Terrible. Um, right, quiz time. Oral audacity. <laughs> Questions each. Mm. I've done one for each story this time. Me too. Oh, there we are. We're back on track. <laughs> okay. Do you want to go first? I'm ready. What was created as a result of the Knights of Valicia attempting to capture the Temperon? What was created as a result? Knights of Valicia. Oh, oh, I know, I know. Kurgon Wonder. Oh, God damn it. I didn't think you were going to get that. Yes. And That's what, one of the one things that I remembered from that story. What is Kurgon Wonder? It's a big, in my mind, it's a big gaseous thing in space, which people go and visit in a spaceship. Excuse me. I have not just had a curry. Um, yeah. It's, well, it's, it's a temporal distortion is what it is. Oh, all right. Thanks, Stephen Hawkins. I'll remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, my question for you is, um, name all three of the sirens as played by Sarah Moat. I nearly did this question for you, and I couldn't find them all. I went oh, Well, you could have um, listened. What is it? Elenya? Elenya! Woman with Scouse accent, and woman on the spaceship. Mm-hmm. That's all I know. So you only know Elenya? Yeah. Okay, sure? Yeah. Uh, so Scouser with um, Fifth Doctor is Helen, remember? Because Ellen. And he's like, is that with it? Helen. Oh, Helen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Superb um, dialogue there, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then on the with the sixth doctor is Ellie. Oh, okay. I only remember Elenia because you fucking quote her all the time. <laughs> Elenia, <laughs> your name. Tell me your name. <laughs> okay, question two. What card does the Doctor pick when playing against the villain in Phantasmagoria? Oh. I'm going to say the Ace of Spades. Uh-uh. Hearts. No, uh, that was your second answer. It is the Ace of Hearts because he says a single heart, a Valentine. Yeah, no. I, the moment I said it, I, I, I visualized the heart, but I said the spade. Damn it. Oh, okay. God. Uh, what's that? One nil. I love it when you get one wrong. You get all sweary. <laughs> uh, okay. What year is Phantasmagoria set? Christ. Uh, That's pretty tough, actually, to be fair. Sorry. 18... 19... 1909. 1702, apparently. <laughs> oh, shit! I was out for 200 years! <laughs> they say about a king that's just died or something, don't they? I don't know if, which one it's supposed to be. Anyway. we're doing too well here. it's one nil to you so far um okay which shakespeare play does the doctor quote in whispers of terror oh which shakespeare play uh, uh taming of the shrew it's Macbeth, i'm afraid i was gonna say Macbeth. i thought that was too obvious mm-hmm. damn it okay um can you name Another of Peter Miles's big finish appearances. I've got um he's in at least Paradise of Death, isn't he? That's not big finish. Is Peter big finish. Have a big finish. I've got three here. Um is it main range? All different. Oh shite. I can't. Mm. Tell me. Okay, to be fair, I didn't know any of these either. Um, so he's actually in uh, Sarah Jane story, Mirror Signal Maneuver. Uh, makes another appearance as Nida in I Davros. Um, and he's also in a Benice, uh, The Adventures of the, what's it, the Diagnus Damsel. What's that? Di- Diogenes Damsel. Diogenes. What's Diogenes. the hell's Diogenes? <laughs> Diogenes. <laughs> Damn, so anyway, he's What's in that. again, a chrono? What oil has millionaire Sean Brett made his fortune with? Oh, fucking hell. I don't know. Sorry, I do get sweary on a quiz, don't I? Um, I think you're more competitive than you like to think, you know. What oil? Uh, I don't know. Beaver oil. <laughs> No, it's very simple. It's Alaskan oil. Ah, oh, I was thinking of a type. Oh, whatever. Okay, still, it's still one nil. Okay, go uh, on. Who designed the cover for Land of the Dead? <laughs> this wonderful piece of artwork. Which we've been <laughs> oh my God. Um, is it Perry Godbold? It is. How do you know that? <laughs> because I read it in the book earlier when I was looking for facts. Cover by Perry. Because it, it stuck in my head because it was Perry. 
who designed the cover for the fearmonger and designed a cover for the very first time clayton hickman that is correct that is the right answer true or false is the fearmonger the first time that ace is called dorothy mcshane in performed <laughs> doctor who you said this earlier <laughs> i know <laughs> it's, it's true. true well done we just know our big finish stuff we're just experts in everything so that's why we just know our big finish well, that's two out so of five well. i would not say that makes us experts <laughs> um but can you please for the edification and enjoyment of our listenership viewership whatever ship they are and i'm sure they're shipping us um sorry um can you please tell them what stories we'll be talking about in our next episode okay so next up we are continuing with the doctor who main range the marion conspiracy the genocide machine red dawn the specter of lanyon moor and winter for the adept all very exciting stories for me and i I know these ones so much better. But that is our third episode to come. Thank you very much for watching and listening to this. Uh, if you can watch, you can listen to these audios along with us. Uh, if you want, uh, you can get, well, they're on Spotify, aren't they? And from Big Finish, this, this first 50, yeah. uh, really cheap to download as well. So um, if you haven't tried some of these, give them a go. And uh, just a little bit of bonus information. We're heading off into all the spin-offs eventually. Dalek Empire, mm. 2000 AD, is that what it's called? Sapphire and Steel, um, Dorian Gray. We're going everywhere. We're going to go into the whole spin-off universe of Big Finish. Mm. Right. Well, I'm going to go and uh, lie down in the dark and start listening to uh, <laughs> the genocide machine. <laughs> I'm going to go in the dark, but I will not be listening to Big Finish. <laughs> <laughs>